Welcome to season two of The Unforgiving 60 with your hosts, Ben Pronk and Tim Curtis. Two ex-SAS guys armed with MBAs. In this show, Ben and Tim seek out people leading lives less ordinary and talk with them about how they fill their unforgiving minutes and what helps them go always a little further. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Unforgiving 60. My name is Ben Prom. And my name is Tim Curtis. G'day, Ben. How are you, mate? Oh, good, mate. <laughs> You've done it again. <laughs> I've done that again. <laughs> I forgot I'm not to refer to you as mate. It gets weird. Ben, is there anything worse than having a sick child in your house? Open brackets, assuming it's your child, close brackets. <laughs> yeah, well, there's nothing worse than having someone else's sick child. No, but in seriousness, I struggle to think of anything that could be more impactful uh, than something happening to your child. And in fact, I, I personally don't think I ever knew real vulnerability until I had my children and, and just realized how damaging that would be if, if something bad happened to them. Mm. Well, I guess this is the difference between a, having a sick child temporarily ill in your house mm. and having a chronically sick child living in hospital. Um, you know that I'm on the advisory board of Starlight Children's Foundation mm-hmm. and Louise Baxter joins us today, today as the CEO of Starlight. And it was very profound for me when I went to a children's hospital uh, recently built and I was walking around the wards and I saw a schoolroom, kids going to school in hospital. Mm. Unbelievable. Now, the mission of Starlight is to brighten the lives of seriously ill children and their families. And they do that through an incredible range of programs, including the Starlight Express Rooms, including Livewire programs for teenagers and also wish granting. And really their aim is to allow kids to be kids beyond doctors, surgeries, medicine, syringes, needles, to allow them an an opportunity just to be a kid. Mm. Not to be defined by their illness, but to to be a human in their own right, and more importantly, a child. And I think we're going to talk with Louise about this incredible institution Mm. and the incredible things that Starlight are doing, but we're also going to talk to her about leadership, because she is an incredible leader. And has wonderful philosophies on leadership. Mm. Let's get on with the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Unforgiving 60. I'm Ben Pronk. And I'm Tim Curtis. And we are joined today via Zoom with Louise Baxter. Louise, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you both? Also well. Very well at my end. Louise, as always, the best place to start is just understanding a little bit about you mm-hmm. and how you got to the position that you currently hold as CEO of the Starlight Children's Foundation. Okay. Uh I think I probably should start way back when, because there's a there's something that that there are a couple of things that happened in my life as a child. I think that has influenced where I am now, uh, which is also relevant to some things I'll say about Starlight a little later on. Uh, I came from a family that was was very blue collar but very community minded, so we were constantly having uh, fundraising events whether it was to raise funds for, you know, netballs for the netball team or, um, you know, the ladies' social club that my mother was heading up and things like that. So grew up in a household where uh, my parents were very committed to giving back and supporting people who were less fortunate than, than, than we were, but also if there was something that you needed, you got it done, I suppose, was that kind of mentality. And I have, uh, I, I always say nowadays, don't whinge about things. You're either part of the problem or part of the solution. Which one do you want to be? And I suppose from that perspective, my parents really ingrained on me a very strong work ethic, but also just don't whinge about it, just get it sorted. And so I think that whole mindset of are you part of the problem or part of the solution, my preference is always to be part of the solution. And, uh, and so that's something that I had from when I was a child. The other thing that impacted me when I was a child was 
we had, you know, those families that you're very close with, that you're always, you know, your parents are all hanging out together. So as kids, you kind of uh, a bit like extended family. Uh, we had a friend whose child was diagnosed with leukemia. This was back in the day well before Starlight. And I saw the impact of his leukemia on the family. I saw firsthand as a child his pain with no kind of relief for that. And I just saw what that did. And there was no starlight in those days. So just those two things by way of, of background. I then, you know, as a young adolescent was actually very involved in, you know, my local student group. We liked going to the beach. We were a bit far away. There wasn't a direct route. So we arranged a whole lot of fundraising, car washes and stuff. We bought the bus and then we got a father who drove us every weekend. So things like that's what I say, part of the problem or part of the solution. So yeah. that's kind of um, what I've always, the, the bent I've always had. From a work perspective, I started my working life in uh, consumer marketing and then, and I worked for a, a lot of blue chip um, marketing companies. So organisations like Johnson & Johnson, Arnott's uh, and Rickett and & Coleman. I then moved across to the advertising side of the world, which I loved. So, and what I loved about all of these things, it's all about changing behavior it's the consumer insights it's you really got to understand people but it also matches that with um the creativity of of actually how you're going to connect with those people i worked on a lot of um uh, roads and traffic authority work so saving lives and you know, it was always great to see those stats because every week you were reducing road toll uh, through communication messages and understand that whole premise that you can change behaviour well before you can actually change attitudes. So, hmm. so, so that was good. I also worked on some great, uh, I worked on Kellogg brands. Uh, I spent a lot of time working on um, hospitality and, uh, and food and beverage. So I, Penfolds wines, things like that. So I, I had a great time. I always say that when I uh, turned, well, I was having a midlife crisis. Around the time I turned 40, my midlife crisis was to say, there must be something worthwhile, more worthwhile I can do than sell, you know, chips and shampoo. <laughs> now, all very relevant and very worthwhile at certain moments in my life but it just wasn't doing it for me anymore which is really relevant because that whole flourish somewhere else you know i i had done well i'd been successful i was you know on the board of leo bennett advertising agency in my early 30s i'd done all that however i there was something that i then felt was missing and at that time, uh, corporate social responsibility was relatively a new thing that people spoke about. People were talking about the triple bottom line, the third sector. And I thought that what I wanted to do was return to a corporate marketing role in corporate social responsibility. And the one thing that I didn't have, so while I had worked on the client side, the agency side, I'd worked on promotions for the charity sector. The one thing I didn't have was actually direct work in the sector. And so I took a six month maternity leave um, uh, role at Starlight, thinking that I would be returning then to the corporate world. And it was only after I'd been here a couple of months that the CEO came out and said, what would it take to have you stay here? And so, and I was hooked. <laughs> Louise, can I just jump in? So yeah. maternity leave is designed as leave. You were, you started a new career. Oh, no, no. I was filling someone else's ah, maternity leave I see, leave I see, role. I see. <laughs> yeah, right. It was a I'm maternity leave role that I was filling. Brilliant. So, yep. yeah, so I, uh, I came here and uh, uh, I just loved it. Uh, and I could see lots of opportunity because we were a much a smaller organisation. And I think one of the things that happens with uh, the charity sector is you start small, you have a board um, that is really very much kind of management of the organisation. And then 
all charities as they grow need to transition where the management truly becomes the management function and the board steps up and into the governance role, which is where they then need to be in a growing organisation. So I've, you know, I've been with Starlight during that transition and with my corporate background, I could see enormous opportunity to, to grow, improve the efficiency and the effectiveness and bring some of the learnings that I had from my um, decades of working in the corporate world mm. into this sector. Mm. And, and so that, for me, it's a business. And that first role was the head of partnerships at Starlight, Louise, but then you left, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. So after a number of years um, here, and I loved it, uh, I really needed a new challenge. And this is one thing that's really core to some of the, the chats that I have with people. It's sometimes people think that they have to stay at an organisation. And I was, I loved Starlight. I loved the purpose that we have. I love the mission. I love seeing the impact that we have um, on changing lives. However, I personally needed a new work challenge for me to continue to grow and de develop and flourish. And I had a chat with the then CEO because that would have been, you know, the next role for me. Mm. And uh, they said that they were going to be staying at Starlight for a long time. And so that's absolutely fine. And so I left and, and, and that was good for me because if I had have stayed here, and wasn't challenged, I would have mm. become disgruntled, disengaged. And what you always find is people who do that and stay too long or who are unhappy for any reason, um, they, they pull people in, they try to pull people into that negative corner with them. Mm. And that's not helpful for them or for the organisation. So that's my comment of, um, which is kind of joking, but there, there's a lot of truth in it go flourish somewhere else because mm. it's better for you as the person, as the individual, and it's better for the organisation you leave and the organisation you go to. If you go to somewhere where you're truly aligned, not only with the purpose, but with the, the journey that that organisation, so the strategy that that organisation mm. has developed to reach their destination. And it's, it's almost reminiscent of that old saying, if you love something, set it free. And it, yeah. it sounds like, you know, Starlight loved you. They set you free, you flourished, and of course you, you returned. Yeah, and, um, and, and that's why I think it's, um, it, that's actually really good for me to have that experience uh, because sometimes I'm having discussions with people and they talk about how much they love Starlight and, but they're not loving the role or whatever it is mm. at this point in time. And it's like, it's okay to leave. And I left as an advocate and I advocated for Starlight while I was away from Starlight. And it actually gave me a great external view of Starlight so that when I returned as CEO, um, I, could, I could see things because I'd seen things from a different perspective. So it was really good for me to... Um, have left Starlight, had a different executive team experience, come back into Starlight um, and have seen Starlight from an external, potentially fresh view. So I think I was a better CEO for leaving. Before we leave the subject of your CV, you've got brand management, you've got marketing, you've got ad, uh, advocacy, you've got advertising, you've got partnerships, you've got charity, you've got organisational leadership. That's what's written on your CV. But in your internal CV, the things that people can't see, how do you think of yourself? How would you describe yourself? Uh, I think I am... I'm very much, and this is really interesting, um, we we are very much about uh, positive psychology and everybody at Starlight, That's it, it makes us an authentic organisation because everything we do for the children is about PosPsych. Every team member is trained in positive psychology. And when we do that, we uh, you have strengths that we look at in this. Does not mean you have weaknesses and as Typical humans, we all get that list when it first comes out. We look mm -hmm. at what's down the bottom of that mm -hmm. because that's we think is our weakness, but they're just lesser strengths and you can always improve them. So, but my top strengths are 
Now, my number one is zest, okay? Mm. Now, that gives you an indication about um, energy. I always jokingly say, because we share our, our, um, our strengths with each other in here, and I always joke and say, yeah, yeah, I'm just warning you all, my number one is zest. So that gives you an indication of speed and um, uh, 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 energy, uh, which, uh, you know, people have different energy levels. Mm. And so you have to be mindful of that. I also, my strengths are also around the areas of um, justice, fairness, uh, and teamwork. And those things are the things that resonate for me. So uh, I find, I, I really am very much about honesty um, and authenticity. And I think that that is really important. To have true authenticity, you have to be vulnerable. And I, I love the fact and I encourage people to, to um, share and, and be vulnerable. It's one of the most powerful things that you can have in business. And I am very in that same uh, mindset. I'm, I'm kind of anti-perfection. So, you know, whenever you're having an interview and people come into and they proudly tell you you're, they're a perfectionist, I need Graham Norton's big red chair to just pull the lever and flip them straight out. Uh, and my issue with perfection is it drives the individual and everybody they work with nuts, okay? It's, it's much, much better to have people who show their vulnerability and, uh, and that brings people along and, and people want to help you. And when I show moments of being vulnerable about something, People don't think I'm stupid or, you know, that they think that I'm, I'm reaching out because those people have much better skills in that space. So, of course, I would leverage them mm. and use them. Uh, teamwork is incredibly important to me. I, um, you know, have played sport from a young age. I have, um, I continue to, you know, be involved with sport, play sport, and I think that sport teaches people something that's incredibly important, and that is you never win if you, if you continually try to highlight and play to someone's weaknesses. Mm. And I've seen that in the business world, where within teams you see a person who is clearly not aligned um, <laughs> and is disengaged, but they try to highlight someone in their team's weakness all the time. Mm. That's not what you do in a team. You know, if, if someone can't catch a high pass, you don't, you know, you don't trick or kick or throw a high pass to that person because they can't catch that. You know that you got to throw a low pass to that person for your team to have any success of winning. So I think it's that, that teamwork, which is, and you see, you know, when someone uh, on the field at footy or netball or whatever it is, uh, when they when they drop a ball in a critical moment of the game, their teammates don't berate them. They go over and pat them on the head and they support them. And that's what I find is really powerful about sport and teamwork. And I, I like to see that in, um, in the business environment because only when you're playing to people's strengths and you're supporting their weaknesses or supporting them in a moment of weakness, um, then, then you have a chance of actually being a high-performing team. So for me, that's really incredibly important. Um, what else was I going to mention there? I think that, um, uh, yeah, that, so it's that, that honesty, that authenticity, it's that teamwork of justice and also an energy. I like to... Um, I like to, I always say, I'm looking for people to employ. You know, when you're in a restaurant and there are those waiters that I say have their heads down and they come over and they give you a plate of food and they neglect to take away the dirty coffee cup. I don't want to employ those people. I want the waiters with their heads up. You know, when you're in a restaurant and you see that person who's looking for the next thing they can do, mm. they're the people that I want to employ in my team. And so I want to have a whole um, team of people who have their heads up. You see it on the sporting field. Actually, heads up is really good. You know, when, when people are losing, their heads go down, their shoulders go down. Uh, if you've got any chance of, um, of coming to win from behind, 
you have to have your head up and your shoulders up. And so I'm looking for those people. And that that kind of speaks to the energy as well. One of my other teammates here at Starlight talks about um, wanting to employ the people who walk quickly to the photocopier. <laughs> so <laughs> it's the same kind of, it's the same deal. It's that, that have that energy that are looking for the next thing that aren't, I suppose, wasting time. Louise, your discussion on authenticity really resonates with us. We personally believe that that is such a critical component of leadership and the ability to show some vulnerability, not try to play a role or be someone that you're not. However, I've always thought it exists almost on a continuum. I mean, clearly in a lot of leadership positions, you don't want to be the absolute oversharer. I mean, you need to uh, save some things and potentially in crisis type situations, if you've got fear and doubt, um, there are times when you want to be strong and show that that um, uh, I guess that or impart that confidence and motivation for your team. Yeah. Have you got any thoughts on where that sort of continuum exists and at mm. what points you wouldn't necessarily be the complete authentic vulnerable you? Yeah, and and you're absolutely right. And and I suppose I think of it, you know, from my marketing background, as um, uh, as who's your target mm-hmm. for particular messages. And so, uh, and and when I talk about target marketing, I always use the analogy that uh, when you watch a five-year-old child, um, they speak very differently to their friends as they do to their parents, as they do to their grandparents, as they do to their mates. So, um, and their teachers. So, kids understand mm. tone of voice and different messages are right for different, appropriate for different target markets. <laughs> So I always think that you need to use it. Um, you needed to use it selectively. So you're absolutely right. In a time of crisis, um, uh, it depends what um, vulnerability you show. So you know, in this time, I've been giving our team very much a message of, we've got this. We have got this because you know I have been through. Uh, the GFC and I know that Starlight is a different organization and we are a more resilient organization now and we have a we have team members who are more resilient so there's individual resilience and organizational resilience that exists now uh, I have also been clear that we, we we don't have all the answers at this point in time mm. so we will come to give you so from a team i will share that message mm. and that's a certain amount of vulnerability because um it would be quite arrogant in that time to say and i have all the answers and know what's going to happen yeah. but my vulnerability is i really can't tell you we are in uncertain times and i can't tell you what's going to happen but all i know is we are ready and we can move and we will move to adjust to those new times. Mm. So I suppose I share a vulnerability there. When I am then uh, with my board, et cetera, I will show probably different level of of vulnerability because I need their counsel and their expertise Mm. uh, to help me. And I need to say this, I also have learned this because a board member a number of years ago said to me, Louise, I know that if you ask me to do something, if I haven't done it, you'll get it done anyway. And it's like, oh, that's not really what I'm needing them for because I need them to assist me. So actually being a bit more honest in that space and saying, uh, you know what, if you can't help me do this, it's not going to get done <laughs> is, is, um, is something. So not stepping mm. in to save people also, mm. also helps. So I think I've kind of moved and learned as uh, as I have become a more mature leader, <laughs> and uh, and I think that's good for everyone. You know, I, I was I was different. You know, I've reformed on a uh, on a number of fronts. I think if I, when I was much younger in my corporate world, I probably did try to be that perfectionist, and I hated to think I didn't have the answer to a question. Whereas now I'm really comfortable when somebody asks me a question, if I don't know the answer, it's like, do you know, that's a really good question. I don't know the answer, but I can come back to you. I'll go away and and check and Mm. ask and come back. And that's okay. So I think as you are more comfortable in your skin, you um, are fine with people potentially uh, asking you a question you don't know the answer to because you have enough information to move forward. Louise, incredible resume. So you could probably lead most 
listed companies on the ASX 200. So why Starlight? Uh, I think th this is a really interesting one. It, it harks back to that moment where I, you know, I must be able to do something more meaningful. And it's absolutely okay to, um, to exist in the corporate world and, you know, to support charities in, in, uh, in other ways as a volunteer, as board members, etc. I uh, love being involved on a daily basis uh, and seeing the change. And we've grown Starlight. You know, when I first started at Starlight, we were an organisation of uh, around just over $10 million dollars. Um, you know, our budget for this year was $40 million. So we're fourfold the organisation. Back in those days, we were around 60 team members. You know, we're on the other side of 350 team members now. Uh, we've grown significantly in our program delivery. So even just 10 years ago, we supported over 130,000 positive Starlight experiences for kids in a year. Last year, it was over 625,000. So significant program growth. And I've loved all that growth. But I also know that I could, and I have, you know, in the time that I left Starlight, I went back to the corporate world and uh, went back into, no surprises, into a, uh, a role, an executive role in um, sport uh, management and marketing, So, uh, which is my other love. So you know, there are lots of things that you can love doing in your life. And I think to be able to move between those is a wonderful place to be. So, yeah, I don't see myself as a, as a not-for-profit person or, as I like to say, a profit-for-purpose person because mm -hmm. I'm not quite sure of any other sector that describes themselves as what they're not. Um, <laughs> and, a, uh, and I can move back into the, you know, for-profit sector. So, Louise, you just mentioned that term positive experiences. Um, mm -hmm. Most of our listeners, I would assume, would be very familiar with the, the term Starlight and what it does. But for mm -hmm. maybe the few and, and our couple of international listeners, mm -hmm. could you describe some of these positive experiences that Starlight brings to these really sick kids? Yeah. Uh, if I just actually step back to the vision that we have at Starlight, because we talk about our theory of, theory of impact. Mm. Starlight recognises that uh, happiness as a child is incredibly important. Happiness in your childhood is one of the strongest determinants of how you perform in your education, your employment and long-term healthy life behaviours. Uh, we believe that everyone should experience a happy childhood. Okay, that's the, that's the vision. Mm -hmm. For us, our mission and the specific area that we can, can change is that we want to brighten the lives of uh, seriously ill and hospitalised children. Because a seriously ill child has their ability to be happy seriously impaired. And so Starlight is there to work in partnership with health professionals, and we have worked in partnership since day one, to support through positive psychology, the well-being and resilience of seriously ill children. We do that through, um, and we, we talk about replacing pain, fear and stress with fun, laughter and joy. Mm -hmm. So it's all, about, um, it's all about happiness, silliness, fun, childlike, you know, that, you know when children are just so uninhibited and the joy that they have in their lives, a seriously ill child doesn't have that necessarily. And the whole family is impacted by that because that unit is just so connected when you're a child. And when I see a child come into a Starlight Express room, which is our haven that we build in all children's hospitals in Australia, um, and it's a place where children and families can go to just be kids. Um, and when I see a child come into that space, especially for the first time, they could have their head down again, that, that, that word, shoulders down, in a wheelchair, holding an IV drip, and just the burden of the world on their shoulders. You can see it. And to see that child lift, and within 15, 20 minutes, roaring with laughter with Captain Starlight, who is our catalyst for fun mm. and mayhem in a Starlight Express room and in the children's hospitals, and completely forgetting why they, where they are and why, that's what Starlight does. So by 
by giving these kids back their childhood, um, it reduces their anxiety, their depression, um, it improves their um, compliance with treatment, uh, it reduces missed appointments, and so it actually improves the health outcomes and it changes the morale of even the clinicians in the hospital. So, you know, the hospital operates differently and it's really interesting in this moment of time in the middle of this pandemic where our in-hospital programs have been reduced and significantly restricted in some spaces. You know, it's very different across the country at the moment. However, uh, we took this moment in time. We've never had that research that says, what's a hospital like without Starlight? So we mm -hmm. took this as an opportunity and went straight in and did some research when we were in our strictest lockdown. And the feedback that we have had from the clinicians and the children and the family, families has been absolutely profound. To have clinicians say, this hospital is eerie without Starlight here. Yeah. Um, to have uh, medical teams say, I think I would lo lose my staff if we don't get Starlight back into the hospital soon mm. is great. To talk about um, the children and what they're missing out because a lot of hospitals have moved to only one parent and no siblings allowed, which is really meaning the social isolation um, of being in hospital has been, is extreme and and this is something we're all going to have to contend with because something that's pandemic has shown us is that there are there there is reduced um morbidity for all illnesses at this moment in time across mm. the world and it's because of the um increased um isolation mm. but what we're seeing is the impact on mental health and well-being so in our lives there is always going to be um, this tension that exists um, between, yes, you can actually, for in, from an infection control um, and physical point of view, uh, complete social isolation and keeping everyone in bubble is the best way to go. Mm. But we're humans and that ain't going to work for us. Mm. And how do we overcome? So I think this is something interesting just generally um, for what will happen and what will we learn through this time and take forward. Now, Louise, you're talking to a couple of former captains, but I don't ever <laughs> remember having the zest, the energy, or the enthusiasm of a Captain Starlight. You had the silliness. <laughs> yeah, Some of your tactical plans were very silly. I think I still harbour a little bit of that silliness. Who is Captain Starlight? Captain Starlight is um, is the superhero who comes from Planet Starlight, and on Planet Starlight, uh, they are all trained. There are no serious, there are no sick kids on Planet Starlight, and all children smile all the time, and they're always happy. And so Captain Starlight recognised that on Planet Earth there was a different situation, and so Captain Starlight flies from Planet Starlight every day in an invisible rocket ship, which lands on the roofs of all of the children's hospitals in Australia. Uh, and they come into the children's hospitals and they create fun and mayhem. And obviously all of our Captain Starlights are professional entertainers. They, we give them additional training in the, um, their ability to be invited into the space of a child they are about connecting with the child within the illness they never ask any questions about the illness so they're connecting with um you know little jane within the illness and that's one of the things that happens in hospital you can become that child on ward c1 north with whatever illness it yeah. is that you have um, and we connect with the child and for me those moments when you hear a parent say Louise, today I saw my child smile for the first time in weeks and Captain Starlight, you know, was mm. there and, and, and made that happen is just remarkable. Um, and the kids are in control. So the, the kids, because plan, they come from Planet Starlight, they don't know about things on Earth. And so the child can help educate a Captain Starlight about life on Earth mm. um, the children are, um, so, it, you know, Captain Starlight uses themselves in a lot of improv. Um, it's not about, uh, it's not about performing um, a play or anything in front of these child. It's about connecting and engaging with that child. And so, you know, they are the way they connect with the kids. And we have, um, you know, 
We have hundreds of uh, these or over a hundred of these um, uh, Captain Starlights and they're in hospitals around Australia seven days a week. Um, they are remarkable people and uh, all of our Captain Starlights also have their own captain name and when a captain first arrives on planet Earth and goes into the hospital, the kids all know and they're given four weeks to name that captain. So, you know, we have, uh, you know, Captain Disco or Captain Meerkat who kept popping up all around the hospital, um, you know, or so, or Captain Silly Billy or Captain. So all of the kids um, have their own name that they give to a captain, but a captain can use their performance skills in those first few weeks to direct their uh, their captain name. That's brilliant. I think militaries around the world should use that same principle. I think they do, the soldiers do. <laughs> yeah, I think but- yeah, I think most sporting teams, etc., do. Yeah. So, but this isn't just a, a Starlight. Isn't just for seriously ill young children. There are programs for others as well. Louise, could you perhaps Absolutely. talk about Livewire and Wish? Um, yeah. Uh, the well, Wish granting ori- program. We originally started in Australia as a Wish granting program, and the story of how we moved in hospital was also very interesting. So you know, granting wishes, life-changing wishes to seriously and chronically ill children, which is really important on their journey. And uh, and that can brighten their life, give them, and they're all referred to us by clinicians. And it gives the child something really positive to look forward to on the other side of surgery, treatment, or just when they're in their darkest time. And it really engages with the child. But And the way we moved into hospital in the first instance, one of our board members had a seriously ill child and recognised that over 30 years ago, that power of positive distraction that a wish gave was missing in the hospital environment. And so we worked with one of the children's hospitals who had some spare space, converted that space into a then Starlight Express room and the first Captain Starlight was employed and worked a treat right from day one. So that's how we've grown in that space. Uh, Over the years, the other thing that has occurred is as there's been improvements in treatments, um, we have seen more adolescents in hospital because if you go back 30 years ago, a child who was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis generally had a life expectancy in their early teens. Um, Children who were diagnosed with a lot of childhood cancers, um, uh, only 15 or 20% of them uh, survived. Now that number has been flipped and it's more like 80% survive. But to survive one of these childhood illnesses, you don't walk out of hospital necessarily just healthy one day and never have to go back. So what we have now, due to those improved survival rates, so for really great reason, is a whole lot of adolescents that we didn't necessarily have in hospitals 30 mm-hmm. years ago. So it's a great thing that they're there. And, but they have very specific needs. So one of the nice things about the mythology of Captain Starlight is young children completely believe it, much like Santa Claus. Uh, once kids get older and twig, um, they become protectors of the Starlight mythology. And they still connect with the Captain Starlights yeah. on a different level. However, we then created a program called Livewire, um, which is specifically for adolescents who are seriously and chronically ill and disabled. Um, And that is an online, um, so livewire.org is an online peer support program, which is amazing. So these kids may also be on other social media, but when they're on other social media, they pretend to be who would be cool in their group because they could potentially become bullied or ostracized for announcing they have a serious illness they're managing. When they're in Livewire, they can be authentic and true to themselves. Mm. And they can share the fact that they have this illness because they're in a group of other kids who all have those same issues. And so you go into the chat room and they might be talking about going to the footy or beach on the weekend, but they might also be talking about health issues. So, you know, I've been in a a chat room in Livewire when a child's come in or a young person has come on and said, I have to have a heart stent put in next week. I'm going into hospital. I'm really scared. And all the other kids come on and peer support saying, I've had that operation. It was really easy or, you know, whatever they're mm. doing to lift that, that young person's spirits. Mm. So they can have these conversations there, which is really important. Um, we then carry that into the hospital and we have facilitators 
who work in the hospital. So during the day, our Starlight Express rooms, Captain Starlight is there. When Captain Starlight um, hops in their rocket ship back to planet Starlight, in the evening, our live wire facilitators are there. So then the Starlight Express room welcomes, which is a very generic space. So it's not, it's not um, age specific and it has in terms of what it offers. And the adolescents can come into um, uh, the live wire space. And we, we change what we do. So for the young kids, we might, like if it's nearing Halloween, young kids might come in and paint a pumpkin and never, not paint another pumpkin or whatever they're doing. So it's very fast and uh, instant. Whereas with those um, uh, older and longer term patients, we do things like might teach them portraiture or teach them how to play a musical instrument. Um, you know, we've actually had in Perth um, 22 portraits hung at the art gallery there from the young people in uh, the Livewire program. So really uh, building their capability for life skills. You know, if you teach them a musical instrument, teach them how to you know, write a song, record that song, that's something that can stay with them for life, you know, ditto with the portraiture or filmmaking, et cetera. So mm. they are projects that are longer term because these kids are often in and out of hospitals. So when they go back home, they can be thinking about the next chapter in that book they're writing or that play they're writing with the help of the Livewire facilitators. And then when they come back into hospital, it's about reframing hospital as positive. Um, so they come back in thinking, I've written that next, or I'm thinking what I'm going to do on that portrait now or the next verse of that song. And that's interesting because that's what Captain Starlight does for young kids too. So parents have said to me that before Captain Starlight, they used to have a child sit in the back seat screaming all the way to hospital because they didn't want to go. And now they hop in the front seat, have to be dropped off at the door of the hospital because they're running in to connect with Captain Starlight while the parent goes and parks the car and they come back and find them in the Starlight Express room. So reframing that to a positive experience is really important. Mm. And that's important also for our Starlight Healthier Futures initiative, which supports kids in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities. Mm. Starlight now works with, in partnership again, as always, with clinicians going into those communities because if we can reframe their health experience into a positive experience and it means they can continue with any treatment that they may need we can start to improve um, the health the pediatric health of our first nations people which is incredibly important for us to achieve in this country yeah unbelievable can we put a little fine point on a case study that ben and i both bore witness to at the incredible Five Chefs Dinner. The mm -hmm. Starlight Five Chefs Dinners are conducted in every state, I think, Louise, yeah. on yeah. an annual basis. And we were at a Five Chefs Dinner. There was a small break in the dinner and on walks, a musician with a guitar. And without saying anything, this musician plays and sings an incredible song, quite mind-blowing, clearly a professional. And then he puts his guitar down and he says, my name is Nathan Cavalieri and I was a starlight kid. Can you talk about that case study, Nathan Cavalieri? Yeah, uh, Nathan is amazing. And I think most of Australia, and he was re recently featured on Australian Story. And if you haven't seen that, that's a great one to watch. Uh, Nathan was one of our very, starlight's very early um, starlight wish children. He was uh, diagnosed at uh, eight or nine with, um, uh, with uh, cancer and he uh, at that stage you know the prognosis was not good as I mentioned earlier those um, uh, survival rates back then weren't great um, and uh, he was uh, put he was referred to us by his um, uh, oncologist for a starlight wish and his wish he, he played the guitar and found he'd his father played guitar and he would played guitar from a young age and um, and he wanted to um, meet Mark Knopfler, who was the um, uh, the guitarist from Dire Straits. And so Starlight uh, uh, worked very hard, and his wish was granted to meet Mark Knopfler. But what happened in addition to that was Nathan was just such a a charming young boy. And his story touched the hearts of um, everyone who heard it. 
and he became quite a celebrity and, and a regular on um, uh, Hey Hate Saturday, which was uh, a really high rating show back in those days. Uh, and that was, that was all wonderful. Nathan uh, has, you know, obviously survived uh, and, uh, and continues now. He's now married with his own children. But uh, he shares a story of also uh, having some uh, mental health demons in his um, adult life. And he talks about the positivity that he learned through uh, his interactions with Starlight when he was a child have helped him through in his adult life and he wanted to give back and he is a starlight ambassador um, and he is just remarkable in the way he supports us but you know even a number of years ago 10-15 years ago I know that he would pop into the starlight express rooms to entertain the kids without anyone kind of being aware of that so very connected to mm -hmm. to giving back and he's just a remarkable individual and that's his story is not uncommon you know, the number of people, when I sometimes speak at, you know, corporate events who will be standing just off stage and I come down and they tap me on the shoulder and say, Louise, can I share my story? I was a starlight child. And when you think about the fact that the number of kids we are supporting in hospital, in all our paediatric hospitals, you know, every year, the number of families we are then impacting and you think about the fact that we have granted you know thousands and thousands of starlight wishes over this time um, you know it's not surprising for me that these people come out of and share their stories and sometimes you've dealt with a person for a while and you know they want to support starlight and you're never quite sure what the catalyst mm. for their interaction was and then after a little while that you'll have a private moment and they share their personal starlight story with you, um, which is really beautiful for people to do that. Louise, Tim just mentioned the Five Chefs Dinners, which are absolutely amazing events and managed to strike this incredible balance between really conveying the pathos and the, the purpose of what starlight does uh, for children, but also keep that silliness, that mm. fun and that, mm. that real enjoyability, which is amazing. Have you found the landscape of fundraising in Australia changing? And if so, um, how is Starlight evolving and, and adapting to, to that? I think that, uh, well, I think things are always changing and I love change. And, uh, and uh, you know, I'm very big on innovation and we see innovation here at Starlight is any change that adds value. So I think um, we're constantly looking at everything we do um, to ensure that uh, it, it's all about it's all about that connection and, and connection to the impact of Starlight mm. um, that's incredibly important and storytelling is really important part of that. Um, our value is important. We have one value at Starlight and that is to shine. Um, and we talk about the fact that we shine for our purpose, which is all about the children and what we do to help them have a more positive experience. We shine with positivity, so that's our commitment to PosPsych. Um, we shine by being exceptional. That talks about um, you can only be exceptional if you are customer-centric and thinking about the person that you're involved with and, and, and have that customer centricity. And we shine brighter together. So that talks about innovation, collaboration and teamwork. And that's that external focus. And I think that um, if you're constantly saying to yourself, um, how can I shine more brightly or how can we shine more brightly? You're always looking to add value and change. And mm. so you're always looking to innovate. Um, so that's all connected. And so we have always been looking to change. And I think some of the more, more recent um, changes where we've seen some, some great success this year is we started a number of years ago really looking at um, digital fundraising and starting to uh, test our way there. Because one of the other great things about innovating is you have to have a safe place where it's okay to fail. And quite frankly, if you're not having some things that, that don't work, that you don't learn from, you're really not trying hard enough. So, um, you know, we have started and we've had some things that haven't gone as we've thought. And uh, then we've had some amazing successes. And, uh, you know, we've just recently had our virtual 
bike ride, um, which we started last year. It's under the Tour de Kids branding. And last year raised just under $80,000. Uh, this year, and obviously we're in a time where people are isolated and they could do this on a stationary bike in their home or around their suburb um, in their own time, it's just raised $886,000. So, you know, that's a huge result over that time. Um, but you also have to also have diversified revenue as you have with any business you have to constantly be looking at the return on investment and one of the beautiful things about our five chefs dinners is that everything's donated that's that was the original concept that it started um that the venue was donated that the staff from that venue donated their time to work for free that the all the chefs donate their time and go to their produce suppliers from their restaurants and they donate the produce for every course. The wine is all donated from, you know, local wine producers. The auction items are, are donated. So um, that's a really wonderful, wonderful um, concept because it's philanthropic from start to finish. Yeah. And we, we really want to live up to our brand because our brand is about um, being um, positively disruptive for the kids. So we want to do that. And we think about that in every interaction we have. So we want our dinners um, to hit the, the right target of, of fine food and wine um, and sophistication, but it's about the theater of the food and wine. And it's about the fun and silliness of Captain Starlight and what we do for kids every day. And I think the thing you can't underestimate is within us all is still that yearning to be a child. And so it potentially resonates with everyone. What's next, Louise? Well, <laughs> I think at this moment in time, uh, what's next is really ensuring that Starlight moves through this current situation mm. in a very, very strong and sustainable position um, and that Starlight is flourishing. And the thing about what we're doing now is it's this really strange juggle of right now and the immediate needs that we've had because this has caused, you know, the, the, you talked earlier about the difference between the GFC. The GFC was basically a financial impact. Mm -hmm. This has been a financial impact at a far greater level than the GFC and potentially with a much longer tail uh, and also a big, a, a significant human impact um, and health impact. So this is something in a completely different stratosphere. Uh, and what we've had to do is manage everything for this moment in time but also there's been great learnings from this. What do we take forward? You know, what has it changed about the way we operate? I would hate to think that we're a bureaucratic organisation, but I really need to be honest and say, there are some things we've been able to do in this time way faster and better than we've done before. So there was clearly some bureaucracy or red tape or some process that was holding us back. How do we make sure that when we move forward, um, we go forward with everything that was fabulous about this moment that we learned. Um, and then the things that were just for this moment, we leave behind, but we're a stronger, better organisation. So for me, ensuring that Starlight is stronger on the other side of this, and that's in the next one, two, three years, that's the most important thing. Because when I leave Starlight, I, I will not have been successful as the CEO of Starlight if the organisation is not sustainable and that I can't be moved out without any change being felt within the organisation. How do people find out more about Starlight and how can they assist Starlight, Louise? I think the best way in this day and age is to go to um, starlight.org.au and uh, all our information is on our um, website and people can be involved in so many different ways. Obviously, uh, volunteering has been restricted, but that won't be forever. And we will need volunteers back um, in our program delivery, you know, in the hospitals, uh, at our events, 
there are other ways that people that have specific um, uh, expertise can, can support us uh, as board members, but sometimes on specific projects. And we have um, boards right around the country. Uh, we have specialist boards. So we had our inaugural meeting last week for our Health Professionals Advisory Board, which was remarkable, uh, a group of people around, well, uh, virtually around the table uh, for that meeting. So there are lots of ways, and obviously uh, we deliver programs seven days a week. We need funding seven days a week. So people who want to support us by either um, donating, um, uh, establishing some kind of fundraising activity are people that we want to connect with. And my last question, and probably the biggest, if you had the ears of the world right now, Louise, mm -hmm. what would be your message to the world? I think that we, I think that we need to be a more compassionate, positive world. And I think that we've seen the leaders who have um, really stepped up in this space. And I think that uh, that is their, their, um, their USP, <laughs> their unique selling point. I think that if we are truly going to resolve the issues of the world, we need to collaborate, we need to work together, and we need to be positive. And the thing about positivity is, it doesn't mean we're all mindlessly happy all the time, but you have a positive mindset, which actually sets you up for better and more robust, less personal debate about things. So you actually get to better outcomes because you can have higher quality debate. And I think the negativity that just seems to um, have invaded um, our politics across the globe is something that just um, is something we need to change if we are going to all work together in this 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 global um, environment we now have uh, and and overcome some of the issues we are facing because every crisis is just so full of opportunity and I think that that's the thing we need to all embrace. I think you once said crisis is a, spot, is a spotlight, and that's probably a beautiful place to leave it. Louise Baxter, CEO, Starlight Children's Foundation. Thank you for all that you do, and thank you for being on the Unforgiving 60 podcast. Thank you Thanks for your time. Thanks. <laughs> Bye. Nobody knows what beauty is anymore. Because do they actually look like that? Or just really good at Photoshop, oh Lord. Isn't that strange? Then please take my advice Don't try to change to be beautiful You already are inside Oh, cause It just works that way I know it's hard to see sometimes Because of social media and TV But the truth we fail to realise is How love's meant to be. Hey. See 25 year old actors playing someone who's 18 With bodies like they've never eaten fries And they spend all day at the gym Oh God How can I look that way? I know it's hard to see sometimes Cause everyone's telling you what you're meant to be But what I want you to realise is need to change a thing hey.
told what we should be like And I know deep down we'll try so hard to be The real beauty in this life fits within us Oh So please don't try and change a thing inspired by people who are doing things bigger than themselves and know how tough it can be for those who volunteer and run charities. If this is you, we'd love to spread the word to the Unforgiving 60 community by advertising your cause on an episode for free. Just complete the short charity fact sheet on our website, www.unforgiving60.com, and we will do the rest. And while we have you, thank you for your selflessness.